first of all, we never really introduced you to us as, as, as a podcast. Um, we're the Underwater Adventure Bot, or at least that's the name of it. And the basic structure here is that there are... Don't, don't mind my nephew in the background. <laughs> he's eating broccoli and he's loving it. Um, we have a basic structure of... He's also sick, the poor kid. We're hoping he gets better soon. Anyway, basic structure of three segments. There's an obsession, there's a discussion, and there is uh, something at the end. It, and it's usually a little bit more activity-driven than, than speech-driven. Usually, since there are three three hosts, I'm Mark, and I also have uh, with me Forrester and uh, my brother-in-law, Justin. So since there are three segments and three hosts, when we do have guests, which we're fortunate enough to have this episode, uh, we just kind of let them take over one of them and... and... <laughs> and the remaining host just kind of uh, uh, joins in and steps aside to, to give their room. So, so this episode, Forrester is, is graciously stepping aside to, to allow Father Chris to step in and nerd out. Um, so hello, Father Chris. How's it going? A little back history about Father Chris. My wife slash Justin's uh, little sister uh, was best friends with this girl in in high school whose brother just so happens to be Father Chris. So uh, you probably didn't follow any of that, but just know that um, my wife had a friend who had a brother and that's this guy. And he is, he's such an awesome guy. He, what's the correct term? Concelebrated? All Con of them? Yes. Concelebrated all three of the weddings for all three of the hosts. He has baptized all of our babies so far and will will likely baptize the rest. Um, and and will likely concelebrate any any marriages we have going forward if any of us get remarried. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is exactly why I will not concelebrate any further marriages. Yeah, so, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but um, no, he's he's obviously a huge huge part of our lives, and we're super excited to have him because he's very intelligent. His homilies are tremendous because of the way he speaks. That's why we're particularly excited to have him on this platform that is mostly spoken word. And so we're all very 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 excited to have him here. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Um, it's good that I like talking because that helps as a priest and that encourages me to nerd out. So I'm happy to be sharing a little bit of that with you guys. <laughs> well, we're glad to give you a platform. So anyway, without further ado, here we go. Hi, I'm Father Chris. I'm a priest and I've kicked more people in the face than have kicked me in the face. On today's episode, I'll be nerding out about J.R.R. Tolkien and talking about divine providence in The Lord of the Rings. I'm Justin. I've put over 50 hours into Tetris Effect on the PlayStation 4. And this episode I'm talking about something you could call transcendence, but we'll use a lot of other names for it too. I'm Mark, and my high school actually had an annual donkey basketball event, and yes, it's exactly what you're picturing. This episode we find out which of my groomsmen Father Chris would have been. I'm Forcer, and I didn't wear jeans till I was 21. <laughs> <laughs> You were broken. <laughs> Father, you have you have the floor for your obsession. Whenever whenever and however you'd like to. Whenever the gods of whimsy. You so, believe in those, right? <laughs> <laughs> all of them. I believe in all of them. 
So, I have long been a diehard nerd for Lord of the Rings. I, I've always been the nerdy fantasy wizard, knight's kid, love all that stuff. And Lord of the Rings speaks to me on that level. Um, but to me, it's more than that. I What really started to captivate me is the, the quality of the writing in the story, as well as the sort of world that Tolkien built. Um, I think as as a piece of writing, it's just phenomenal. Like it's it's one of the best pieces of writing in the 20th century, I think. Um, and it it it's like an epic. It's like it's like the Odyssey. It's like the Iliad. It's um, you know the the sort of story that's on that that level, that kind of grandiosity. Um, and that's that's something naturally that I would have enjoyed. But what what really grabbed me was just how like how soaked through with Tolkien's spiritual life and his spiritual vision and his, his religion, his theology. I, I started to discover that in, in the book, and it's, uh, it drew me in even more. Um, naturally, as a priest, Catholic things are going to be appealing to me. Um, what is it about it, though? It, there's a deeply sacramental vision that Tolkien has. Um, what I mean by that is, so, so we have sacraments, right? We have seven sacraments, and it's these tangible things that signify something intangible, which is also real. So it, like, it, it, you take bread and wine, and I pray over it with my superpowers, and it turns into God. And specifically, a way of meeting God where he nourishes your soul. So, like, nourishment, sustaining... God very deliberately chose bread and wine to do that. And like for baptism, like he okay, take water, ceremonially wash yourself with water. And like what, what water does physically for you naturally, I'm going to do something supernaturally that's like that. I'm going to spiritually wash you. So like the, there's this sacramentality that is just totally written through our faith as Catholics. And you can see it all over the place. Like these tangible things are, we can meet God. We can meet God in the tangible. Um, I mean, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? We, God, we, we've always had this longing for God and we reach up to him and we want to be close to him. And even before he showed himself to us, but we're not, we can't climb up high enough to be with him. So God eventually came down to us and he did that by having feet and by, you know, being a baby and by learning how to work and by having friends and having headaches and being lonely and all the things that we go through, he took that on. And like that, that is at the heart of, of our Catholic faith, like that these, these things, these tangible things speak of things that are bigger, um, which would otherwise be inaccessible. That is all over what Tolkien writes, the, the world that he built. He, he strongly disliked allegory, so he strongly disliked like, like overly manufacturing a connection. Like, okay, well, so, so you have this character, let's call him Aslan. And <laughs> he represents somebody, let's, let's just call him for the sake of argument, Jesus. Like, he, Tolkien didn't like so heavy-handed of a thing. And pr there's more nuance to Lewis and what he wrote, so I, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but... Um, 
Tolkien, Tolkien speaking about Lord of the Rings, he, he says that Lord of the Rings is a fundamentally Catholic work. Because, not because there's anything, like, he wrote Catholicism into it, or because there's any religion. He actually said he deliberately wrote religion out of it, so that it can just kind of be soaked into everything. Um, it was his whole worldview. Um, that That's what made Tolkien such a good writer, is the fact that he perceived reality so clearly that that's that's why you know people who love his world building that he he wasn't just really creative at making things up i think he was able to make some things up but then he saw this inner logic and order to things and so he started not just making things up but discovering things and i know that in in his letters talking about his writing he he speaks about that like how he doesn't he wouldn't always know what's going to happen next in the story and sometimes he, he he felt like he was with the characters like when i think when he got to rivendell uh he you know just like the characters had to kind of rest there for a while like he also wasn't sure what exactly was going to happen next and um i think after gandalf died you know and they got to lorien they he also kind of was like with them sort of I forget if it was exactly that, but I think he was surprised that Gandalf died. Um, and there's a number of other things that he speaks of like that, where like he was, he could even be surprised at what happens in his own story, because he didn't predetermine that. He he came to. He had this vision of who they are and what they were like and what was at stake in the story, and then he just kind of watched what happened. And because of that, it allowed his story to reflect a whole lot of just the way that things really are. And part of what he saw, a lot of what he saw, is is through the lens of his Catholic faith. And so um, Tolkien says that the most important character in The Lord of the Rings is God. Most important character in there. Um, I, I, f I don't think God is ever directly mentioned in the book. Maybe in passing. I don't think he is. But he's the most important character in the book. Why would that be? Well, because if you go back and read this story and you are looking actively for divine providence, you're going to find it all over the place. Um, the number, I had some, somebody pointed out this to me once when I was starting to reread the book. He said, I want you to pay attention to how many times something happens that has to happen in order for, like, the world to not game over and have, like, a thousand years of darkness? Like, how many times does something happen that is crucial that it happen, but totally does not have to happen? Like, chance meeting of a person that, like, managed to save the fellowship, or the fact that they managed to to pass somebody else. Like, oh, like, they didn't meet, like, the ring wraiths who are going to, like, just destroy them. Like, the number of things that, like, fortunate turns of events that just... There's no reason they had to happen that way. They just happen one after another as you're reading this book. And it shows, if you're looking for it, like, this can't be coincidence. Um, and I don't think it's, like, bad writing either. Like, you could, you could, there's a phrase, deus ex machina, which basically means when somebody writes a story or a play or a narrative in a heavy-handed way where, like, things are bad and then they, they contrive a way out that just doesn't, it breaks the logic of the story like oh but but don't worry like some then this guy swooped in and he saved everybody tolkien doesn't do that he manages to make things turn out good for the world in the end 
not by like like magic that breaks the rules, but by this logic of divine providence. You, you I, I love it. The, the the story is shows such clear examples of how evil is in charge of what he does. You know, and it's overwhelming. You're you, if you watch the movies or you read the books, like you see, evil is really on its game. They're really good at what they do. Sauron is really powerful. He's really smart, and the good guys are don't feel very smart and don't feel very powerful and that's true basically and so it's very obvious how good evil is at doing its thing and it's, it, it kind of invokes this sense of despair like you know like with the good characters you're kind of wondering like how is this supposed to work out how how can we possibly undo such great evil how can we fight against it like is there any hope and Tolkien managed to find a way where good triumphs over evil, but not by a cheap out, but by this subtle, this subtle directing of things by divine providence. That, and that's kind of the point, is that evil is very obvious and in your face about its power and its strength, but God is not. That's, you know, it, it, all of us, it's sooner or later in your, in your relationship with God, you have to face the reality of the fact that God is very quiet and he's not nearly as as loud or as obvious as we would like and and there are plenty of times that I wish that he was that he was more loud or more obvious um, but he's not he's God's not God's an artist he's he's not heavy-handed um, and so the way God works is much more organic and subtle and silent and if you're looking for it you can find it all over the place but he doesn't like to shout. And so in the Lord of the Rings, the main power that you see that seems to be steering all sorts of things is evil. But if you are looking closely, you will see the unmistakable hand of divine providence guiding Frodo and Sam and Aragorn and Gandalf and all of them in ways that is far beyond their power or wisdom and without which just the world would burn <laughs> for a thousand years. Um, and I think that's genius. That's genius writing. And it's genius that Tolkien was able to write a story that showed that without making it obvious. He was able to let his, the, the truth he sees as a Catholic soak into his writing, but without having to write, okay, so there's this God and there are priests and there's people and they pray to God and God saves them. He didn't need to do that. Um, he was able to do it just with his artistry. Um, he even coined a term for it. He, the, the word he came up with it is called eucatastrophe, which basically in Greek, you know, catastrophe, that's generally a bad thing, something explosively, horribly wrong. And the prefix eu means good. And so a eucatastrophe is like a something catastrophically good, a catastrophically good turn of events, which couldn't have been foreseen but which breaks through and and brings about this good redeeming conclusion that you're looking for in in a narrative but not in a way that breaks the rules god isn't just kind of like lowered down by a crane to like stop the bad guys it's that within the logic of the story and the world and people's choices god manages to win um you know i i i've a famous line from from the Lord of the Rings is is speaking about how Bilbo Bilbo chose 
to have pity on on um, on Gollum. You know, when Go Gollum was going to try to kill him, and he's this wretched thing, and Bilbo would have been justified in taking his life because he was a danger, and Bilbo had to try to protect himself. But Bilbo had this moment of pity. He had this moment where, you know, it doesn't say it, but I would say grace moved in his heart, where he he suddenly saw Gollum not as just this wretched little demon creature. He saw him as like this old, withered, broken down, almost hobbit. And he felt compassion for him. He felt he just felt sorry for him. And that pity that Bilbo had for Gollum is what saves Middle-earth. It's the beginning of this catastrophe, because without Bilbo having pity on Gollum, and then later Frodo sort of ratifying that by having pity on Gollum himself, when Gollum is a danger and is liable to ruin everything and just, you know, therefore destroy the world because the ring would be lost. Frodo looks at Gollum and has this moment of grace where he has pity, his mercy, he has compassion, his love for Gollum and wants to extend that love to him in whatever way he can manage. Without Gollum being alive and present at Mount Doom, the ring would not have been destroyed. Tol Tolkien even talks about that in his letters. He says Frodo's, Frodo's failure to throw the ring in to Mount Doom and when Frodo claimed it as his own, he said that that was a failure, but that was not a moral failure. Um, you know, because it'd be easy to be just like, 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 no, dude, you made it all the way there against all the odds, and you you turn around and say, no, the ring is mine, and like, it's it should be game over. Like, like everything should end right there. Tolkien said it, it really actually wasn't possible for Frodo to have resisted the ring. The ring is like the concentrated essence of Sauron and his power. And when Frodo is in the heart of Sauron's realm, at like the place where it was made, which is basically, again, that sacramental vision, like things reflect invisible realities. So at the heart of the evil world, that's the place where evil is strongest. That's the way Tolkien wrote, like things matter and things convey invisible things. And so when you go to the heart of the evil place, that's where it's most evil. And so when Frodo goes to the heart of Mordor, the only place that the ring can be destroyed, it's actually impossible for somebody to destroy the ring there. So are we doomed? Like, like is there no way out? Is there no way does because this, and this is the big question of the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion, which is even bigger than the Lord of the Rings. Like, evil is so good at destroying things. Can we ever rebuild them? Like, evil is just good at shattering and destroying and ruining and corrupting. Is there any hope? Is there any hope of good winning out? Is there any hope of redeeming and restoring what has been horribly lost? And this is the heart of the catastrophe. It's giving this kernel of hope. Like, yes! Against all odds, in a situation where it should not be possible for good to triumph, good does. How? It's not contrived or manipulated. It's that Bilbo and Frodo had compassion on Gollum. And because of that, he was there at Mount Doom. And Gollum wanting the ring for himself, that was what Providence used to get the ring thrown into, into the lava, into the cracks of doom.
without that, it's game over. Without that, the world is lost. So the the pity, the mercy, the the love that Bilbo and Frodo had towards Gollum, that is precisely what saves Middle-earth. That's the only way. That's the only way that everyone is saved, and that is exactly the way it really works. From one of Tolkien's letters, The Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision. That is why I have not put in or have cut out practically all references to anything like religion or cults or practices in the imaginary world, for the religious element is absorbed into the story and the symbolism. And if you're if you're looking for it, you can you can find it. Um, you see it especially in in the Silmarillion, the, like the even bigger, broader prehistory to the Lord of the Rings, where the very beginning of it is a creation myth. In the beginning is Iluvatar, and Iluvatar creates these angels, and he gives them the power to sing and make music for him. And into that is introduced discord. An angel rebels, wants his own theme in the music, and tries to steer the music in his own direction, and makes it dissonant. And the way, interesting, the way that Iluvatar solves this problem of discord and dissonance is not by silencing the rebel. He doesn't silence the discord music. He resolves the chord. He takes the dissonance and resolves it. And every time more dissonance is introduced, he resolves that chord. And that's the way that God saves. And I just, the, the fact that Tolkien got that and was able to write a fantasy epic which reflects that so well, I think is just beautiful and captivating. And I will nerd out about it endlessly. <clears throat> Then Iluvatar spoke and he said, Mighty are the Ainur, and mightiest among them is Melkor, but that he may know, and all the Ainur, that I am Iluvatar. These things that you have sung, I will show them forth, that you may see what you have done. And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful which he himself hath not imagined. Lord of the Rings is awesome because it it, it it speaks to the reality that I see as a Catholic and it like it strangely helps me to be more Catholic because it when you're looking for this and you see it displayed in, in a work of art, like it helps you to look for it in your own life. So, you know, like I mean I I, I can't I can't tell you how many times I've been moved to tears when I see certain parts of the Lord of the Rings movies and just the beauty of what they're showing like 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 frodo the, the scene where frodo is on the banks of the river at the end of the first movie where like everything is seems to be unraveling mm -hmm. like they've got this fellowship they've got this barely one chance to save the world like and imagine if that's really literally true like how how that would be crushing you and like all of a sudden things are starting to unravel and frodo finds himself just alone and he remembers what gandalf and he was saying in, in Mori, he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times, but it is not for them to decide. All that we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. 
Bilbo was meant to find the ring. And that means that you also were meant to have it. And that should be an encouraging thought. And I've gone back and watched that scene in that movie many times when I've just been in a rough place in my own life. And it's, it's, it's been encouraging because when I feel like things are rough in my life, when I feel broken, when I see my own flaws and my weaknesses, when I feel like I'm not sure what to do, and I just kind of throw up my arms and say, like, like I just, I wish this wasn't on me. I wish this wasn't, I wish this hadn't happened. I wish this wasn't something I had to deal with. And I can hear God saying to me, yes, like, I, I understand. And there's a lot of reasons why it has to be like this. But I don't need you to solve everything. I just need you to do the best with what you have. Um, and to trust that I will direct it like I direct everything. And just the f the fact that Tolkien got that and was able to weave that into a beautiful piece of art, I think is just amazing. Okay, I have an idea that I need refined because I don't have a name for it and I'm looking for other examples of it. This is a great this is a great way to have a discussion. It's a great <laughs> I, reason yes, to have a discussion. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I have no idea what you're going to say in response to what I'm going to say, which okay. makes me really interested Perfect. to share the idea with you, but the general concept is something like a translation from one medium into a different completely different kind of medium. So I'll give you a few examples. I am fascinated, I, I know a little piano, and I'm fascinated by watching virtuoso pianists play some impossible song or some song that I've tried to learn and failed or some song that I can play a little bit but they can play much better. I like to watch their hands move mm. because the way that their hands move and the shape of the keys and the distribution of notes has almost no relationship to the sound that you hear. It mm. fascinates me that someone moving their hands at different speeds along this rack of keys makes that kind of sound somehow, and doing it differently creates an entirely different kind of sound. So this motion, so motion translates into music somehow. Another example would be writing and language reading even. So you look at these black ink marks on a page. This is especially apparent if you try to learn a different language or even a different a language in a different alphabet. Learning Greek fascinated me because it eventually you get to the point where you can look at a string of letters in a non-English alphabet and have ideas and it's like it's almost like the pen marks and the ink marks translate into meaning. The idea that you can write something down, which another person can read and have a similar identical thought based upon. I don't know what to call that process. And the third example that I, that, that probably is most fundamental in my life, is I remember as a kid, and I'm like less than eight, you know, maybe five, six, seven. I don't know what my, my age was, but young enough to be really impressionable. And I remember my uncle brought a Game Gear, Sega Game Gear, 
over to visit because um, he lived on the west coast. We lived on the east coast. And he brought it over, and I had never seen something like that before. And it had a version of Sonic the Hedgehog on it. And I saw him... I can't remember if it was just watching him or trying it myself, but the thought of pressing a button and having in this other world a character move and react that I could control was completely mind-blowing. And nowadays, trying to switch careers to get into web development and coding, the same kind of appeal drives me. I don't fundamentally care about creating a web page for a corporation. I care about writing syntax and lines of code that I've logically thought through and having the computer execute the code and then doing something with it. When you have an input, that's one type of thing, and the output is so different that the middle, the meeting of the two is just absolutely, in my mind, irreconcilable. It's mm. just, it just is, you know, I feel like even if I understood sound dynamics better, it wouldn't, it would still be magic to me that striking a note, you know, a piano is a percussion instrument, striking a note, a hammer on a tightly wound chord makes a sound that can coalesce with other sounds to create a song. That would still be magic to me even if I knew more about the physics of it. It still is magic to me knowing more about computers and how codes work, that how coding works, that you can write code and the computer interprets it and does something at speeds which humans just can't do. That translation process. So I don't, I don't know what to call it, but have you noticed that kind of thing anywhere else? Hmm. I'm not sure if I can think of other examples, but <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's certainly cases where the whole is greater than the sum of his parts. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think another example would just be the fact of personhood that a person is more than just, um, you know, a, a collection of data points. Um, the end, the end result is just something staggering and almost unexpected, but at the same time, you're not really surprised by it. Um, and so like that example with music, I, I find particularly striking of, um, it seems like magic that um, just these sounds played at the same time or played in, in this sequence um, would make something this knee-buckling. Mm. Um, but even more than that, I mean, you're right that that's a... That is a, the, the more than the sum of the parts thing is fascinating to me, but what's even more fascinating is, I mean, think about the last concert you went to. Think about uh, what, what fascinates me is I see all these cables and wiring and these instruments and the sound systems, and none of that is relevant to the experience that I'm having in my ears. So what, what I'm here, I, I look at the cables and I look at the, the the singer or the performer on the stage and the microphone and the instruments they're using, and this the I can't reconcile the visual experience I have with the audio experience I have. So if I may speak to that a little bit, having quote-unquote toured uh, <laughs> for so you get enough of an idea of what the back end of, of of performing a show looks like loading in getting your gear set up where you put your cases what cables do what yeah. what what information they need to have beforehand basically what all goes into a show 
of course I've never experienced that from an artist standpoint on the level that like an arena yeah. touring yeah. artist yeah, has it's sound engineer yeah kind of sounded thing. and so like you even even just watch but but however what I will say is that having that very basic understanding on like the small bar venue level does like when I watch the behind the scenes of like the tour videos so like 21 yeah. pilots post like throughout all their tours they'll post like update videos every month or so of like how tour is going and they'll show a bunch of stuff like during sound check during load in during all these things and so like with that basic understanding i can at least like see why they're doing what they're doing even if i've never experienced on, on that scale there are 90 different paths that are leading up to this one point that you could call the show and like one of the paths is like getting there on time another one is rehearsing another one is bringing all the right equipment another one is timing things out. Another one is hiring the right crew, is, you know, booking the venue, like all these different paths that like lead to this one point called the show. And you could like, you could see an overhead view of all these paths converging on this point. And you could even put yourself on that point as, as a person in the audience of this show and be watching the show and still yet somehow like not be able to wrap your head around the, around how all of that ended up there. How it created the show. I can see all these different parts of it, but as one single show, it's like infinitely greater. Yeah. To me, it's like playing a video game or watching a concert, especially for an instrument that I halfway understand, is is like throwing a bunch of ingredients into a pot, but what comes out, you'd expect a soup to come out of food ingredients that you're boiling, but what comes out is a book or a, <laughs> yeah. like the, the thing that went in is not the kind of thing that came out. It's just yeah. so different. Yeah. It's like when you're, yeah. when you're listening to the music, even if I feel like one thing I'm glad about that you said is even if you understand the process as ha- having toured yourself and having done sound design and knowing how to set up instruments for show, even knowing that stuff, it still astounds you how it can all converge into this magnificent performance. I'm glad you said that because I was afraid of the objection that, oh, the magic would go away if you understood the process a bit better. You know, like the magic would oh, go away so if all. I understood mm-hmm. more about percussion instruments. Because <laughs> otherwise, it wouldn't be art. I think that's the entire point of what art is. If it if it if it was meant to be uh, if it was meant to be grasped in its entirety just by studying it more, then it would be logic or math or yeah i mean it sounds like what we're describing is just something like an experience of transcendence um and and it's particularly in in the form of um of art um and flannery o'connor writes uh i think it's one of her letters or, or it's in one of her um one of her talks or essays uh she says that um if you can say what a story is about in one sentence, it probably wasn't very well written. <laughs> and I love that description because if you've read any of her stories... Then it was probably an allegory. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but if you have read any of her stories or any piece of literature that's worth a damn, you cannot describe it in a single sentence. Uh, if someone asks you, oh, what's it about? That's like... It's a horrible question because there's no way to answer it satisfactorily. 
unless you have an hour to, to, to spend. I think that's and partly what makes the obsession segment so difficult to boil down, is that be, you wouldn't be obsessed with it unless it was this very powerful, meaningful unless, thing. Unless it had more to give than you could actually even and put if it's, words. And yeah. if it's already on that level, then like... It, how could you explain it in 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 less than two minutes, mm -hmm. you know, or less than fifteen minutes, or an hour? <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, like, uh, so, like, on the one hand, there's uh, if you can describe, you know, a, a novel or something in one sentence, it probably wasn't very well written, right? Um, but on the other hand, uh, in also in her writing, she says that um, the meaning of a story is what requires every word of that story to say. Like, there's no simpler way there's to no say way to it, translate it other than yeah. to, to tell the whole story. Like, A Good Man is Hard to Find, what she, what the, the meaning of that story cannot be distilled any simpler than every single word required to tell yeah. that story. You, you would like Cleanth Brooks if you read... Say what? You would like, there's, uh, you'd like the New Critics if you read their literary theory. Like, there's um, a... An essay, an old, a book, I think it's called The Well-Wrought Urn by Cleanth Brooks. And he maintains this thesis that it's not possible to paraphrase the meaning of a poem specifically. Ooh, any yeah, specific word, that. any specific word would have its own unique significance or connotation. And mm. to replace it with another word, you would never get the exact equivalent mm. meaning. So if you try to explain a, the meaning of a poem, you might catch maybe glimpses of it, but you're not mm -hmm. going to get the completeness of it because yeah. it's only in the work as it was written. Something similar to, to what you just said is, um, I, I listened to, to this one podcast about um, a, a poem in French, uh, and it was a, a short poem that this, this guy wrote to a young princess in the Middle Ages um, when she was sick, and it was just like this cutesy little poem in French um, to kind of make her feel better. Um, and, but when, it, when it's translated into, into the English, uh, it just doesn't quite capture, mm. like, the, the, how clever it is and how cute it is. Mm. Um, and this guy collected over 700 translations of the poem trying to capture oh, the Oh, I know essence. this. Yeah. Uh, it, it's that Radio Lab episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, get, I, like, I would give that in my classes. Over yeah. 700 examples. yes. yes. Not one of them did what this single poem in, in the original language could do. Like, yeah, and that's just from from French to English. Like, yeah, right. Uh, but in but in that case, you've you've got one medium translated to the same medium, right? So that's not quite what I'm. That was just kind of related to. It is related to something that that, that you're saying. But I was the inability. Yeah, go the inability of the, the, in, the inability of the first thing to capture the f complete essence of the second thing. Right. Something like that. There's a couple words that are coming to mind, some of which have already occurred in our conversation, which what you're describing reminds me of sacramentality, like the fact that a thing can communicate a reality beyond itself. Uh -huh. It's not, this is not exactly uh -huh. identical to what you're talking not, about, but, but it's related. like when you, it's you're related. taking this raw material and it's not merely communicating more of its own self. Right. It, there is a connection, like the, the the thing that it is and the thing that it's communicating. They're related, are, obviously. Yeah, they yeah, are yeah. related. They're not entirely, yeah. you know, dissimilar. But there's the fact that it's able to do that. The fact that a you know 
a limited finite experience this you know this this matter this mm. this action is able to communicate a it's not just symbolic it's not just symbolic of a thing like a whole reality of a thing like i mean like take baptism like the saving reality of being redeemed from sin and being reunited with god and being given grace to you know to fight against original sin like that whole reality is entering yeah. into your experience through through water molecules yeah and like a little bit of and emotion grace. And grace. right okay. well it's grace is what's occurring and it's but it's through this stuff right um you know it's it's very incarnational and i mean honestly the the, the other word that's coming to mind is transubstantiation like you're, yeah, you're, ta yeah. you're taking stuff and turning into something a different that's kind wildly of thing, other a different kind of transubstantiation would make a, that actually that actually fits but then it has those theological overtones but yeah. that, that would exactly yeah that would that would be a good word for but it but yeah like yeah you but, you're taking like you're taking like oh if if i put my fingers in these positions and push down yeah. on these it just seems so these, it seems so arbitrary these objects yeah. it's creating the experience you had when you first heard like beethoven's yeah. fifth yeah, yeah. i yeah. i have a possible example okay. i might be not Perfectly understanding what you're driving at. The sacrament one was really close because there's one yes. kind of one kind of reality, <laughs> one kind of reality leads to a completely different yeah. plane, but related. Yeah, but yeah, not ar yeah, not yeah. totally. Ar yeah. Tell me how you th think this fits in. Okay. Neurons firing and your arm moving. Ooh. Like because Ooh. to me, I've always wondered about like how does like these yeah. semi-related to electric like firings in this squishy jelly thing yeah. in my skull <laughs> that make me but not not only make my arm move but like make it move when i want it to like yeah, yeah. like well, that is strange there's I, a there's yeah. a there's a word it, this is not exactly what you're talking about but there's a cool word that i remember learning proprioception it's the ability for you to know where your limbs are located so mm -hmm. like if you're not like if you had your eyes closed you can touch your finger you know like, yeah okay touch your your left ring finger like you can do right. that without looking that's what proprioception is and I it's think philosophers also call that the lived body experience it might be an aspect of the lived body yeah that's like, a, like the thing, yeah. thinking about why that is possible is very weird like mm. the like Whoa. like the fact that you can move your hands and what you're doing is your 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 mind and your will are saying i want this to occur and somehow just with no in between your your soul and your body are working together to make this movement exactly mirroring what you desire to do yeah um the fact that that works is ridiculous it's strange it's strange <laughs> honestly okay and this is good we don't need to expand on this at all because it'll send us down a rabbit hole but like <laughs> i get freaked out if i think about vision for too long the fact that these just like <laughs> gelatinous orbs yep make me like i i don't even know i don't even know what to call <laughs> sight like it's just yeah the weirdest sense of all to yeah. me yeah. like it's just so weird. Maybe smell is weirder, actually. It but when it's it's it's, it's incommunicable. Like, you the, like yeah, you, you these are the experiences that like you can. We thankfully we have common points of reference, but without them, like there's like like if you're if you're colorblind, explaining what yeah, a certain color looks like, yeah. it's there's there was no a possible book. way. There was a book that we read in grade school. I can't remember what it's called for the life of me. But a wrinkle there, in time. What's that? A wrinkle in time. 
It was not that. <laughs> well, they do they do the colorblind thing to in in that book as well. There, okay, maybe I maybe I just don't remember the title of it, but I I I feel like I haven't read that book, but um, there there was this there was this scene if you can call it that in the book where these two kids were playing catch with like an apple or something. Oh, it's the giver. It's the giver. It's the giver. Yeah. Yeah. I read The Giver. That's the best part Apparently. of The Giver. Yeah. Oh, and, he, and it changes color, but he can't explain what changed about yeah, it. He yeah. couldn't yeah. explain that something happened when, it the, has when a the flash of something, flash of something when the apple is in the light. I read The Giver? You yeah. have, apparently. That's The Giver. We <laughs> were just talking about this the other day about how I should read <laughs> The Giver. Great, <laughs> it's a great book. Yeah. That's one of the best Okay, so I'm just going to quadruple check just to make sure. Has everyone read The Giver here? I I might as well. Oh, well, okay. The, yeah. I doubt this is going to give anything away about the. I just I've seen remember, the movie. I remember there's something about sledding down a hill. I think so that's right. that's the only other thing I remember about really? it. I'm going to be real. Julia's going to laugh at me so hard when she <laughs> finds out that I've read the game. That's one of the best. <laughs> she's te- she's, she's totally teaching right. it right now. Like trying to explain what 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 it was red, like what redness is. Yeah, yeah. and and if like and no when I, I remember, yeah. I specifically remember when I was reading the book and I read that, I almost laughed. Like, how can you not explain that? But then I thought about it, and it's like, how would I? Could you expl- explain? Like, it? you know, no. there there is something transcendent about. Beauty, because like I, so I remember a couple of years ago finding on YouTube there's videos of people. So so, some company was genius enough to make these glasses for people who are colorblind, and because of the science of how colorblindness works, when it's not total colorblindness, mm. these glasses are able to equalize the the wavelengths of light coming through the glasses no in wow. a way that allows colorblind people to see. The full spectrum of colors, and there are videos on lots of videos on YouTube of people people putting these on and like and just bursting into tears. Right? Yeah. Because I've seen you know the same thing with hearing aids for children who have never heard. Right. Like the 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 eyes, the the way that their pupil dilates when they hear a sound for the first time, they are shocked. Right. Like you don't have to teach them or explain to them like, oh, you should be really overwhelmed right now. It just just is overwhelming because it's completely new. Isn't it amazing to think that a fraction of a second of experiencing the sense can explain the sense better than sitting there for hours trying to to talk about what it is. Just experiencing it for a split second you you can suddenly understand like this is what sight is this is what hearing is yeah i have a couple of things to follow up on what you were saying you were asking how what you said about the brain the neurons yeah, and yeah. the motion of your body fits in with the idea that i'm saying i would say that if you take you can describe what you said in such a way that it fits the paradigm that i'm giving okay if you take the input as New neurons firing in your brain on a purely physical neurological level. Yeah. And then you translate that into the motion of well, maybe 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 I have to back up a bit. If if you're if the output is the motion of limbs, but the input is the motion of neurons, they seem to be staying on the same level. They're both physical kinds of things. What I'm interested in is just getting an input in one direction and getting an output of a different of a different order. So and the yeah. sacramental the sacramental part gets it. The transcendental part gets it. You know, maybe the term I want is like transcendental translation. If I may go back to the piano example in a non theological way, yeah. but on the piano example, then yeah. are are you kind of what you're what you're thinking about is like, are you asking the question? 
so when when the hammer strikes yeah. the 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 string in a piano, are you more asking why is it that the string vibrating? Why is it that that Create sound? Not quite. Or... Not quite. Because I feel like I've been taught that that's what creates sound. So I have this basic rudimentary understanding of the physics of, you know, the sound has to move through a medium. And there's no, you but, know, you yeah. you know like, Star like, Wars. Is, that... Star Wars is goofy because like, you can't why, why really would, hear anything in space. Why and... would why would standing in front of a a construct of plastic and glass showing a collection of lights in these particular pinpricks in yeah. a certain order caused me to cry. Like when I mentioned about like, like watching like that scene in Lord of the Rings, like something profoundly striking, like why would yeah. watching this, yeah. this construct of some all, yeah. things... All that's, hap all, that's, all that's happening, quote unquote, when you're looking at a television is individual pixels have of an light RGB arrangement. Have right. a certain exact RGB arrangement of color that when distributed in a certain way creates this portal into another dimension where you forget <laughs> you forget the edges of the screen and you are pulled into this other movie. But like if you watch someone from behind the television, you see them like glued into this into this this is staring into this abyss and you'd be like, what are you looking at? If you never saw the TV, if you never saw what it was like to look into a screen and see something completely different. Yeah, if it was just wall. explained to you what a TV was, it's this thing that has a bunch of pixels that yeah. have an RGB you would value have no idea the, what that, experience that create a color is. for each yeah. pixel right. and then you stood on the other side of a TV and watched someone crying at a yeah. movie. You would right. see, you would think like, what is wrong with yeah. this person? Right. It doesn't make sense. You could translate it into like code basically, like, like, met, like, yeah. like get a numerical value for you could, each pixel for each one, yeah. and then yeah, all you could that spit together, it out onto yeah. a page. Even that in succession. Like this is, these are all each... the numbers that made me cry. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like that's with it. Like in, in no way would that yeah. capture knowing, the reality. Knowing, that... knowing all the parts of the thing that went into the output would not explain what the output is. Right. That's, that's what gets. That's me. a really good and, example. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a, well, it's like that scene in the Matrix where the guy is looking at the lines of yeah, green yeah. and black code going down. He's like, I don't even see the numbers anymore. I just see. Mm. He just sees the Matrix. You know. Yeah. But like he's like he's so in tune with what the thing would do if it were run by a computer that he can see the output without seeing the input anymore. But the the the, the striking thing about that scene to me was always. Wow, how can he look at this and see something totally different? Yeah. You could use now I like that you brought the movie example or the TV example again because if you think about the first time someone explained to you what animated what animations were or cartoons are really Ooh. where they're all just they're a sequence of still drawings. Yeah. But when you flip them by, when you do like a flip book of them really really fast, you get the appearance of motion. But when but with the appearance of motion comes the appearance of characters and talking and storylines and uh, a whole world, a whole cinematic world, you know, but all, but, you know, all that you're seeing is a sequence of still images that are so fast that your brain can't process them at the, yeah. at the, uh, the granular molecular level. Wow. But it's, again, it's so, the um, input, the input of you're seeing a sequence of flashing lights and still images, but it translates into... The Dragon Ball Z saga. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, so on a musical level, I mean, it could seem entirely random that you're striking this chord that's being accompanied by this bass line, that's being accompanied by this percussion, that's using this random set of words in this order, but it just 
so happens to be Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, you could describe it in you could excruciating it. detail. Yeah. And you would not get the experience of hearing that song. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's not precisely the same thing, but it's, it's reminding me of just the way, the fact that chemistry is a thing. Like, it, yeah. everything is made up of the same fundamental material components. Yeah. I mean, however far down the level you want to go, like, just take those and arrange them in different shapes... Like you take the same protons and neutrons and electrons, and at, change the number and change the dis, the the, dis, oh, the, oh the placement in space, and you entirely change the substance you're talking about. Yeah, like you, that is you take something. Take, you move the you move oh. the electron out of one valence into another, and you have a different element. Right. Like so, yeah. if you take a poisonous gas and a metal that burns in water. And combine them together, and you get something that makes your food delicious. <laughs> okay, like that's salt. <laughs> like salt, you t you yeah. take that you take that's a poisonous so gas of of chlorine and the metal sodium, oh, combine right. them together, and that's salt. And why the hell does that work? Why does that taste <laughs> like what? And then like why do, why does this this certain chemical property, when combined in a certain way? And then you put it on my tongue. Activate and taste then, buds. And then, right. I, and then I know. I mean, I know what salt tastes like. How? How does that happen? How does right. that happen? Or, or take the same like like car carbon atoms and change the number of them, and you will go from graphite to coal to diamonds. Yeah, like just changing the, so the just yeah. add, just adding more of them in a particular right, right. shape. You're entirely changing the experience of what they are. Uh, yeah. like, so like, why do you, does that work? <laughs> how do you get how do you get a qualitative difference out of a quantitative difference? Yeah, and then how do you get a, a an experiential difference, a qualitatively experiential difference out of a different kind of physical qualitative experience? Yeah, yeah. A qualitative property, something like that. Yeah, I have one more thing that would tie it to the Tolkien discussion, Ooh. Tolkien monologue. And that would be, there's a, um, a quote, I don't remember which volume of Lord of the Rings it comes from, but Gandalf says, this, okay, this would be, um, if, someone, if someone said to me, you just don't understand enough about chemistry to understand why your taste buds react in this way to that particular chemical, or you don't understand enough about acoustics to understand why a percussion instrument would create the kind of music that you hear, and you don't understand enough about computers if you th are so fascinated by coding and programs translating from the engineering side into the user experience side. Like if, if you learned it said, all, then you'd be bored by it kind of if, thing. Yes. If, if someone said to me, you would not be fascinated by this transcendental experience that you say that you're having if you understood every single one of the component parts that went into the output that you think is so transcendental and sacramental, I would say... I would quote Gandalf at them when he says, <laughs> he that breaks a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom. Yes. <laughs> Mic drop. But yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, the, and one other example that does come to mind, and that is when, when you're talking about everything is made up of the same basic component parts, some things are alive and some things are inanimate. And how is it that rearranging the elements of one body turns it into a body and the other one because like you know if you took if you if you made a list of every atom in breaking a, me man <laughs> if, you, if you made a list of every atom in your body and you made a list of every atom in the mailbox you would have 
an exact catalog of the entire physical components of both of those objects. But just looking at the sheet of, you know, the 6,000-page Word document of all the list of atoms of one and the 20,000-page document of the list of atoms of the other, you would not be able to tell that one of them was a living, breathing human body and the other is an inanimate, man-made artifact. Where does the life come from? Where is life? What is life? I mean, biologists have no idea, but I'm just asking if you have the input of the atoms and the output of something... Uh, the order of magnitude of importance of that of, of, of a live thing versus an inanimate one is so different and so transcendental that it is a somehow fundamental mystery of the universe what life is. Mm -hmm. You put one thing in, you get something in, out that's totally different. And that, that I find basically fascinating about the universe. And most of the hobbies that I have, and most of the interests that I have, are somehow based on that experience. I feel like I probably wouldn't be trying to get into programming if I hadn't had that experience as a kid looking at a video game and pressing the button and seeing something magical happen on the screen. When you were explaining about the Virtual Boy, the two lines of, of That's red a great LEDs That's a great example. flashing at random moments. Well, planned to, moments, but like... Well, planned yeah, plan moments, but like... But if you just saw them, if you just saw the row of lights, you couldn't think Mario's holding a tennis racket. Right, like, right, you're just right. like, yeah. there's no way you would know. It has to be projected onto a, a, you know, oscillating mirror that And that why is it that our faster, perception yeah. of it at a certain speed allows us to to see a character, to see an object, yeah. to see... Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. the same, it's the same as the animation example. Is, yeah. You know, what you're really seeing is... The first Some, thing I thought of. Yeah, no, yeah. that that like that. Yes, that is one of the things that fascinates me about the Virtual Boy. <laughs> and going back I to would, episode one. Speaking of the Virtual I, Boy, I, <laughs> no, I would, I would just add that where you would quote Gandalf, I would probably quote quote Chesterton uh, in a slightly different way, um, but just that all of art seems to take these things that are simple and material, uh, dare I say arbitrary, and they seem to be able to coalesce into something so great. <laughs> like, music yeah. is just a sequence of sounds, and uh, art is just, you know, pigments on, on a canvas, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's more than that, and... Um, and, and I think of a line from Chesterton, uh, kind of in reflecting on art and how it's supposed to kind of help us to, to see reality, um, that like a river doesn't uh, doesn't flow because it has to, but a river flows because it's bewitched. Um, and yeah. he, he, yeah, he talks yeah. about how like uh, the the poet writes about rivers that run with wine to remind us for one wild moment that they, they run, run with, with water. water. It's absolutely, and I yeah. love yeah, that yeah. idea. It's just that like. Yeah. He's re-enchanting every... Yeah, and I that almost is, brought up that chapter. Yeah, and like, and that, that really is the role of art, is to, to remind us just how enchanting just the material world is, just the world the around more, us. The more that I think about the concept that I'm trying to get across, the more I can see examples in it. I mean, the fact that you were bringing up chemistry and Mark was bringing up neuroscience, and um, there's, you know, I'm particularly sensitive to it in the places that for whatever reason, it fascinated me. You know, I tried to learn a few complicated piano songs, and now when I see a real performer, I'm blown away by how what they do translates into music. And I, for whatever reason, always been fascinated by software and, and video games in particular. But the more I think about how it just it, it's it's in more places than I expected, because mm -hmm. I'm only sensitive to the you know three or four 
but it seems to be the the mission or maybe just the ethos of, of art in general that uh, uh, elevating ordinary things to a transcendent level. It might not even so, be just art. It might it, well art. Maybe it is art. Maybe it is I think art. It's, maybe not just fine art. Maybe it's especially human, art. Even thinking about cities mm. from last time, of mm -hmm. if you saw a human city for the first time, you would recognize it as something different from anything else you had seen, and yet it was. It, it, but a city is more than just a group of buildings. It's like the atmosphere. Yeah. It's the people. Yeah. It's the rhythm of their exactly. lives. It's the culture. It's the. It's the food, it's the, the, it's the shows, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the, the length of time between stoplights. It's like, it's, it's all these things. And it's more like, maybe, maybe the phrase more than the sum of its parts gets that part of what I'm trying to get at. But yeah, I mean, cities are an example of it. They're a group of, it's a group of a million little things that yeah. transform into Boston or... Oxford, or you know, well, like, and what what you just said, namely that that keyword of culture, seems to be right up the alley of, of what you're describing. That it does seem to be something that's ineffable, but something that you can immediately identify. The the yeah, the, the ineffability. The, maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> something I haven't thought about as much. The um, but but it's like a it's like a almost like a character, like the yeah. feel or the culture of San Diego is so different from that of Boston. Yeah. Um, you could say the same about and, countries. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and what's also interesting is planets. That even culture is actually harder to describe than than a work of art because culture it's not clear how you can create it. Mm. With with an artist, they can talk about the creative process, but with culture, it's not the work of one person. It's the work of a community, <laughs> and that it it's or, it has to be organic. If you try to force culture or try to force a way of life. <laughs> Nazis, Nazis. <laughs> exactly. You're either going to end with with a dictatorship yeah. or just something very insipid. Uh, it'll it'll inevitably fail. Um, it has to be just a natural outcropping of... Okay, it's making me think back to what you were saying about how Tolkien was discovering... Uh, his characters and discovering yeah. his worlds rather than writing them yeah. is because there was this transcendent reality about the world that he was writing in that he wasn't necessarily writing into being but more discovering and kind of encountering and interacting with um, that that exists not necessarily because he created it just but because of all these different aspects that he he did initially bring uh, bring into this this work of art but kind of unveiled this bigger picture. One thing I always do, I'm in the habit of doing this now, is I'll watch a movie, and especially if I like it, I'll immediately go to the special features and watch the making of feature mm -hmm. or the behind the scenes or director's commentary or just some part of you know the action sequence or the set design or whatever, just the director's commentary on, on whatever aspect that comes to his mind. And I think what I'm trying, what I'm trying to do now that I am meditating on this idea more is, I'm trying to crack this code, this fundamental mystery of how, how is it that this actor being filmed from that angle with the blocking set in this particular way, with this kind of direction and that kind of script, how does all of that? 
translate into the movie that I just saw and that just overwhelmed me or that touched me or that made me laugh or that whatever it was, gave me some unique experience. I, I almost feel like I watch the special features just to see the dissonance between how does what I'm seeing in the be behind the scenes featurette even relate to the movie that I just watched. I, I feel like I'm trying to understand that mystery and I, think, I haven't even gotten close well, I think with there's all the features I've watched. <laughs> there's always a a segment of the bridge between point A and point B that, like, you just... you can't see as the non-creator of that piece. When I look... when I listen to demos, early demos of an album that I have the finished product of from a band that I love, and it's... or if I, if I hear about the making of, or, like, where they went to record it, or what they did to write it, or, like, what they were going through when they wrote it, and all these different things, it, there's, there's all, and like, no matter how much documentation there is, there's always something missing. Yeah. Where it's like, I just, yeah. I can't, I can't wrap my head around how you got from point A to point B yeah. and all in between. And I think it's just because I'm not you. Like, I just, like. Even if you are you, you might not know where it comes from. And, and then even like right now, right now I'm like, in, I'm working on a project and it's it's almost like I'm pulling all these like all these puzzle pieces are floating around me and I'm pulling them together and I'm starting to piece the puzzle together. But then when I sit here and think about like where did these puzzle pieces come from? Like, or why are they even here? Yeah, the, Greek, like, the Greeks that's why the Greeks called it the muse. They called it divine madness. They called it inspiration. They 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 called it some kind of divine godlike thing they didn't you don't know where it comes from you don't know how it, it gets you know how is it that a blind poet could make one of the most lasting epics in the western canon it, where do artists inspiration come from maybe it sounds mundane to ask that question but what you're what you're getting at is where does where like does why did i even write this like what what yeah. what is <laughs> It's it's such a it's such a basic question that I mean on a much deeper level than I'm sure it sounds, but like what what does it even what does it mean? <laughs> like What does it mean, man? What does it mean? <laughs> like yeah, I know there's like there's no way I can say it without a sounding word, but like <laughs> it's just like what does it mean? back I had uh, this this urging to create uh, BuzzFeed style quizzes where you would have a bunch of like you'd have like 10 questions and each question you'd have like a bunch of different options before you and depending on the combination of answers you gave it would you'd tell you what Disney princess you are or something like that you know so I, I was like there's got to be a platform where you can create these things yourself and I found it and I created a quiz for which of my groomsmen are you? Now, for those who don't know, Justin and Forrester were both uh, both groomsmen. At, actually, we've all been groomsmen at all of our weddings <laughs> for each other. Uh, yes, uh, it's true. And I'd also like to mention that we got ourselves on the quiz. 
Oh yeah, so okay, so it's, it is it is tried and true. Uh, I've had all my groomsmen take the quiz, and they all got themselves. So I did I did this properly. Um, I, I got the right answers. What I'd the like first to question do... was, what is your name? <laughs> no, not, I, I actually have one. Uh, I have one for. I'm I'm in the middle of building one of for which of my family members are you? But there awesome. are are more. There are more family members, so that one's taking me a little bit more time. But the first question is like, let's start with an easy one. What do you like best? And there are like 19 answers that are ex- extremely specific to each person. Like one of them is like Christopher Nolan, <laughs> and another one is like Texas, and that's my mom. So what I want to do is I want to have you take the quiz, Father, uh, since you were not one of the groomsmen, but you did. You I've did. never been a groomsman. Yeah. So we'll... I I transcend groomsmen. <laughs> <laughs> so not only not only do I want to not only am I interested to know which of my groomsmen you are, but um, I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to give you the options for answers. I'm going to ask you the question, and you're just going to give me your okay. answer. Okay. And I'm going to select what the closest okay. answer yeah, yeah. is. Are you going to yeah. tell us what the closest I'll, I'll, answer I'll is? Tell, I'll tell you what the closest answer is, okay. um, and I might I might need your guys' help with uh, figuring out um, okay. figuring out what the answer okay. is. So, the first question is, I approach you, and I say, will you be one of my groomsmen? What do you say? What's your reaction? I it guess. would be an honor. Okay, it would be an honor. Okay, dude, I'd be honored. I think that's a pretty okay. obvious answer. Would you say dude? <laughs> yes, I would say dude. <laughs> All right, so dude, I'd be honored. Okay. Please choose a food option. Gourmet macaroni and cheese. Stuffed shells it is. <laughs> Steak. All right, you don't know all of your fellow groomsmen. What do you do? Hide. Hide. Okay. Uh, not much. Just keep to myself. It's pretty, pretty close. Uh, pout uncomfortably for attention. No. <laughs> Probably. Hang out, hang no, out no, no, no. If I don't know all the groomsmen, no, I would, I would, I would try to have some small talk. I would try to get to know them. See who I'm comfortable to... interacting with. See who I'm comfortable, or try to get to know them better. I would try to get to know them better. Okay. okay we'll call that. One. All right. Cool. Um, you're late to the rehearsal dinner. Why? Hearing confessions. <laughs> hearing Mark, hearing the, Forrester's confession. I'm late to the rehearsal dinner because inexplicably I did not manage to leave on time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I think I'm going to have to choose I lost track of time talking to Father Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing that play out. <laughs> Just for like the record, your whole life flashing. For the, the record, <laughs> that's that's the answer that will direct you towards being Forrester. Just, you know. <laughs> Just sitting in a corner, like muttering to myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the best the best man just handed you the keys to the bachelor party. So what are we doing? Like for the bachelor party? It's 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 your bachelor party. Yeah. So the best man. Handed you the keys to my bachelor party. So you got party. to choose where to go. So what are we doing for my bachelor party? We're praying a holy hour. Praying a holy hour. Well, it's definitely not strip club. And, um, <laughs> and now we're going We're going to a place with a bouncy house. With a bouncy house. Laser tag? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably yeah. close as well. All right, so I'll choose yeah, laser. Yeah, laser tag. Right, I would cool. do that. All right, come up. I, we're about to have the wedding. And come, I come up to you and I say, dude, I'm freaking out. What do you do? Dude, chill out. Like, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Don't worry. This is your day. All right. So I think that'll so be either don't worry about it or... Injection of... 
idea to say injection. Because there's someone coming at you with a, a hypodermic needle. You yeah, don't think you understand You're just like, doing. I'm freaking <laughs> out. I'm just going to like run up and like inject something <laughs> into your neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, you tranquilizers. So there, is tranquilizer. there, is an op- there is an option that says, I give you a firm one on the shoulder and say, you got this. Now, I meant for that to be just like a hand on the shoulder, but if we're talking, you give me a firm injection on the shoulder. Right? <laughs> no, no I think that's, that fits. Okay, I think, cool. Well, okay, there's, no, there's no needle-based option. All right. Um, so what, what I'm going to do with this one, this one's going to be a little bit more difficult. So I'm going to give you genres of answers, and then we'll break it down from there. Okay. So the question is, which of these songs would most easily get you out on the dance floor? So your genres are classic rock, pop, uh, or alternative. Which of those three? I feel like Elv- Elvish Electronica is kind of alternative. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> um, actually, Elvish Electronica. Um, I think it depends a whole lot on what song we're talking about. I, I think alternative is most likely because I'm thinking of like, like dances of your. That I've been at, or other weddings that I've been at, like the okay. sort of thing, like like it's that nostalgia of like songs you know and like everyone yeah. else knows yeah, them, you and you're like, yeah, okay. whatever this is, we're singing. Okay, so I'm gonna give you three options. One of them could just as easily be in the pop category, but I think it fits that description of like tried and true. Okay, so there's Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani, <laughs> <laughs> The High Road by Broken Bells, Ooh. or Tear in My Heart by Twenty One Pilots. Was that the me option? Yes. <laughs> this one? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, the, I, know what it is. I would 100% sing along with Tear in My Heart. Like that's, what I, that's what I think. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I absolutely have to. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I am at the, the concert. <laughs> the, broken, the high road that I think yours was also 21. Well, I think, yeah, yours was 21 Pilots. Yeah. Probably. Um, the Broken Bells is the shit. Well, what will get me to sing along with the music is being backstage with 21 Pilots. True. Yes. Ah, dreams. Someday. Dreams. Someday, probably never. Skittles is dreams. All right. <laughs> Next. Skittles is dreams. Uh oh. Skittles is pretty good. <laughs> so this one is uh oh, looks like you're drunk. What do you do? Skittles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tasting painting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, this is the taste. <laughs> Kids who live on farms have it rough. <sighs> God, I have edited. What are you going to give the nibbles to? Crayons? Been around since the 1950s. <laughs> what if medieval times? If 1950s and medieval times had a baby, it would, it would be, be a bag of skittles. Happy birthday, a bag of skittles. <laughs> What was the question? (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) This is this is like this is why people are unsubscribing. (laughs) You're assuming they already subscribed. You're not worthy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So the question it's not even a question. It's just uh oh, looks like you're drunk. What do you do? And, and, and by in that, in general, okay. So that, yeah, in general, by that I don't mean what do you do to alleviate the drunkenness. By that I mean, it's more like what kind of drunk are you? Ooh, um, well, I'm curious. 
I'm a talk. I think I'm I'm a talkative meme sort of drunk. Talkative mean. Meme. Meme. So joke even You're, louder. Everything you says is everything you say is memeable. So joke even louder. Get a little impish. <laughs> I think joke a little louder. Joke even louder. Yeah. Maybe. Um, let's see. Is there anything about being loud? I mean, it's joke even louder, and he said oh. meme-ish. Me- okay, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll, right, we'll call it right, that. All right, okay. so, what beverage got you drunk? Is there chartreuse? Chartreuse. <laughs> um, <laughs> bourbon. Bourbon. Oh, Lots of whiskey. Yeah. There we go. Oh, hell yeah. It's got to be the U option, though. All right. <laughs> I come up to you and I say, dude, one of the married bridesmaids fell in love with a wedding guest. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> you say, where's the, my marriage ceremony book? No, no, the first nonsensical thing that came to my head was, charge! <laughs> and I have a sword in my hand and I'm running. So, um, boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna need you to come up with something else. <laughs> one, of the, one of the bridesmaids falls in love with one of the women. One of the guests. married bridesmaids. One of the married bridesmaids. We awkward. We have to talk her out of this before she makes a major mistake. <laughs> okay, so that'll probably just be. All right, dear. Let's sit. Sit are down. You s- Do you need some water? <laughs> are you serious? Who was it? Or <laughs> oh yeah. Or oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which we know is Forrester's reaction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> If there are other words involved there, probably a second one. <laughs> <laughs> probably, are you serious? Who was it? Because it sounds like he's on a mission to fix this. Yeah, we, we, have, this to pre- we have to prevent disaster. Well, from is that occurring. just curiosity? Who was it? Y- yeah. I mean, I think no, it's, it's like, <laughs> if this is about to turn into a thing, like, that's weird. Like, we gotta, that's weird. We have to stop this from. I think, I think this is. Okay, probably that's probably the closest yeah. of the options. All right, you got Forrester! Forrester. <laughs> Welcome to the Forrester Club. And your description is, if I'm happy, you're happy, and you'll go to any length to ensure both without giving it a second thought. While everything's under control, you drop the business and dare to be as impish and ridiculous as I am. You're here for a reason. Mark, don't drop the business. Stop dropping the Stop. business. I will never. Put your pants back well, on. Well, yeah, so you guys are one and the same as far as the groomsmen are concerned. I can't say I'm not disappointed. Can't okay, say I'm gonna kill you all. <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go through this really 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 quickly okay. uh, to to unveil an Easter egg. So there there is a there is an uh, there is a result that is not any of my groomsmen. What has anyone gotten it? Before? Um, maybe oh, maybe if they knew what to look for. So all, basically, all you have to do is choose the worst possible answer for every single one of them. <laughs> so will you will you be my groomsman? The answer is who's your best man? Please choose a food option. Is do I get a plus one? <laughs> do you, you don't know all your fellow groomsmen? What do you do? Uh, pout uncomfortably for attention. <laughs> Why are you late to the rehearsal dinner? I'm only late by like 20 minutes. Chill. <laughs> the best man just handed you the keys to the bachelor party. So what are we doing? Strip club. <laughs> dude, I'm freaking out. Uh, dude, man up. <laughs> Which of these songs would most easily get you out on the dance floor? Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> uh oh, looks like you're drunk. What do you do? Rage around and get kicked out by the wedding coordinator. What beverage got you drunk? Cosmos. <laughs> Dude, one of the married bridesmaids fell in love with a wedding guest. Um, 
Do you, have that effect on people. No, that's O'Keefe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, answer, <laughs> the answer to this one is, geez, what a tramp. Um, <laughs> and your result is, you can't be a groomsman. <laughs> we, we've thought about it, and Julia's right. I don't want to have to awkward crop all the wedding photos in some sad effort to correct our horrible mistake of inviting you. <laughs> you suck. Please do not come to the wedding. I was and then it's just a picture of me throwing you shade. <laughs> so, you are not a groomsman. I was you are the groom. I award you no points, and God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> yeah. What's our sign off? Um... Our sign-off I'll record later. Under. Water. Water. Adventure. Say bot. Bot? <laughs> <laughs>